I can't mm. burp on command, but I'll make a burp like uh, noise. It's like, <laughs> what? That was a noise and not a burp. Uh, yeah, that was just a noise. Wow. That was like the the mis- the inspector gadget. It's really good. Mad gadget. <laughs> You're like the guy who was the guy like in the '90s that did all the sound effects with his mouth, and he was real popular for it. Oh, the dude about? from. Uh, Police Academy? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I can't remember that guy's <laughs> That's name. That's you, but just with burps. <laughs> I think his name was like Lamar something. <laughs> that seems right. I don't know. Lamar though. sound effects? <laughs> I don't think his name was Lamar. <laughs> oh my God. I almost puked. His name is nothing like Lamar at all. I don't know why I thought his name was Lamar. <laughs> His name is something that I remember now very well. Michael Winslow. Not even you remotely. Lamar's. <laughs> Lamar. <laughs> His character in Police Academy was Larvel, but that's still not Lamar. <laughs> Jesus Lamar Christ. sound effects. Great. Now that's recorded. <laughs> Happy about that. friends, and welcome to Screen Vomit, the only movie podcast for normal people. I'm, of course, your host, Kayla, and I do have a guest with me today, but before I get to that, um, if you like the show, you can follow me on Instagram and everywhere else at Screen Vomit, one word on all the things. Um, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash screen vomit. There will be a clip from this episode of Frankie's Foley on there. Go ahead and leave me a rating and review, please, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you like the show. Um, you can send me an email at screenvomitpod at gmail.com with your thoughts on this movie or other movies or suggest a movie. And just a little note, I'm going to be taking a tiny break, um, so no new eps until, uh, I don't know, March sometime. If you're listening to this when it comes out, just a heads up. Um, I'm going on vacation, baby. Check out the uh, the old backlog if you miss me. How about that? All right, so getting to my guest today. My guest, this is their third time on the podcast, so maybe you'll recognize them. Um, they were previously on my episodes on Diamantino and Together Together. They are an artist, a rocker, all-around cool pal, Frank O.K. Okay, should we actually start the pod now? We really should. <laughs> Okay, I'm here with Frank OK. Welcome to the pod, Frank. <laughs> Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Hell yeah. And it's a it's a welcome bark to Frank because this is your three time? Your three, three time. Three peat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, normal's no Frank. There's no questions to ask up top. There is only me saying why I've brought you here today. <laughs> why we have gathered here today. <laughs> We've done a film. We've gone and done it. It's the 2018 film Chained for Life, which um, is a film that I just love to death. 
and forced Frank to do a podcast with me about. It was it was great. I, I'm very happy you did. I wouldn't have even known about this one. It's been on my list that I send to people, you know, forever. I saw this uh, maybe a year ago for the first time. And yeah, it's been on my list all that time. People keep not picking it. And I'm like, I want to do this movie. And here we are, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm so stoked. I'm, I'm, I, it was like, I really had no idea what I was getting into. And boy, it's good. I, Hell yeah. <laughs> not to like jump to the, jump the gun here, but real good. I really thought you would like it. And I'm glad that uh, I was right. <laughs> if, you, if you would have come here and not liked the movie also, I would have been devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would say about my character. I feel like... <laughs> I mean, sometimes it doesn't matter, like, if we're both watching a movie that we haven't seen or whatever. Like, it's not a crime necessarily to not like a film that we do on the pod. But just this movie in particular, I just love so much. And I, I wanted mm. to do it because I love it. And so if you would have not loved it, I would have been sad. That's all. <laughs> sure did. Sure did love it. I guess I, I have to give a content warning up top that uh, th- I'm going to go full sicko mode in this episode. Because... <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean by this? Uh, I've gone a little deep on the research, and um, and like I said, I love this movie, so I think I'm just gonna it's gonna be full dork mode, and so I just have to give a content warning up top (laughs) for what's about to happen. (laughs) Full sicko mode. Fantastic. Okay, so you had not seen this before. No, I watched it for the first time last night. Hell yeah. I was actually told to watch this film by past guest Pal the Pod Mike Saunders. Mm-hmm. Was on our Tower episode about a year ago at this point. And I think Mike knows the type of movie that I like. So he always gives me a great rec. So shout out to Mike Saunders. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. So getting into the old cast and crew here. First of all, this was written and directed by Aaron Schimberg, who you wouldn't probably know from anything, but he's going to come up a lot in this discussion so got to be mentioned and on the cinematography is adam j minnick who did cinematography for one other movie we've done on pod which was relaxer because he's also a sob noise guy (laughs) whoa cool yeah 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 so that is um the connection there with mike saunders they both work together on relaxer and you know he's done several of the sob noise movies alchemist cookbook buzzard etc and then in the cast we have adam pearson who most people know from under the skin which incidentally is a movie that not only we did on this podcast but we did with frank's marriage partner <laughs> that's true lucianne yes. yeah <laughs> so check that actually, out <laughs> i was almost gonna say that yeah <laughs> you want to say it <laughs> uh you said it enough for both of us <laughs> are you shy now I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also in the cast, we have Jess Weixler, who was in Death of Dick Long, which we did on Pod. Um, she's also in the movie Teeth. A lot of people know her from Teeth. Oh, my God. Yeah. I never watched that movie, but it was a huge deal uh, in its time. Um, and then we have Charlie Corsmo, who was a big child actor in the 90s. Uh, he's in Can't Hardly Wait. He's in Hook. Um, this is his first acting credit in 20 years. 
since 1998. <laughs> so, um, he's a law professor now. So they just swung him into this film. Holy cow. There's also just throughout the cast in smaller roles, there are a whole slew of filmmakers, particularly short filmmakers, which as we know is um, something pertinent to my interests. So there's, there's just a whole bunch of them. I don't know. Uh, Joanna Arno's in here. Katie Skelton. Katie had one of my fave shorts that I watched last year called Business. It was on my top shorts list. And there's there's some other peoples. So that's just cool. Um, and then I, got to, I still got two more things to say. <laughs> a lot of the music in this film was also written and performed by the writer-director Aaron Schimberg, and some of it done by his little baby daughter as well, uh, who, who also appears in the movie inside of his wife's belly because his wife is in the film. <laughs> Holy cow. That's really awesome. Isn't that tight? A family movie. And then, literally, this is the last one. Okay, I'm not going that hard on cast and crew, but I kind of am. Oh, I'm fascinated. Uh, like I said, full sicko mode. Um, the colorist for this film... <laughs> Okay, deep cred. Uh, Nat Jenks also did coloring on Death of Dick Long and She Dies Tomorrow, which are two films we've done on pod uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff, a bunch of other cool movies too. But um, we've just done those two on pod. So I don't know. That's just tight. That's all. That's all for cast and crew. Rad. <laughs> Is that rad? <laughs> hey, I I wouldn't have looked this stuff up and I'm so happy you did because it's awesome. I, I'm really happy to know these things. Now. I'm gonna have to the mask voice somebody stop me at some point. <laughs> you're you're demonstrating your value as a podcast. <laughs> I value as a dork with too much time on my hands to be Googling shit. Um, <laughs> and a microphone. Okay, critic scores. This has, if you can believe it, not only 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, 100%, but also from Google users, 69. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just nice. <laughs> I, I, think that's, I think that's nice as well. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we can watch the trailer and then we can get even more into it. Let's do it. <laughs> so patients have very serious diseases. They are highly contagious. If anything ever were to happen to you. That sounded like a real gun. Is everyone okay? What happened? Cut! Cut! I think there are hunters out there. If anything ever were to happen to you, I'd never forgive myself. Are some bold casting choices in this film. Do you have any reservations about it? Where have you been hiding? You got to meet Rosenthal. I liked how I shouted, action. So good, but that one's not your job. The first trick to learning your lines is to stop worrying. Just stand in the shadows, and when I say action, then walk out into the light. Walk out. Step out of the shadows and into the light. Let us now try it. It's just a rehearsal. Action. Who's there? Don't be frightened. No, but you need to say it exactly as you're emerging from the shadows into the light. Who's there? Don't be frightened. Cut. No, no. First. Wait five seconds. Okay, sorry. Do, do not just walk out. Step out. So one step. A solitary step out of the shadows and into the light. 
Can we try it? See? Acting. Why am I standing in the shadows? What a gorgeous trailer. Yeah, it's... Boy, the, the, the choices for that trailer were, were bold. That trailer is really nice. Yeah, uh, gorgeous, incredible. I hadn't watched it until now, so yeah, great. Okay, first, before we get really into the discussion, I think it's important to address the language that we're going to use in the discussion to discuss the people involved in this film. Um, so this is a film that features disfigured and disabled actors and characters, and the term disfigured is the chosen term of the people involved. So I think that's what we will be using to talk about them, and I just wanted to address that. And also, Aaron Schimberg, like I mentioned, writer-director of this film, is also a disfigured person. He was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate, and he actually wrote a just such an eloquent and beautifully worded essay about the terminology and wording surrounding disability and disfigurement both generally and also specifically in regards to his film. And it's a really great essay. It's a really great read. And so I think I'm going to post a link to that in the show notes as well. So um, check that out. out. Yeah, it's just it's really great. great. Yeah, he's a great writer. I don't know what he does for his real job, um, assuming it's not filmmaking. But uh, maybe it is. I don't know. (laughs) I hope (laughs) But he's a great writer. So I'm thinking it's something to do with writing. I'm like out of breath because I'm so excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm stoked to hear what you think. So I guess just starting with like the set and the look and feel, it's set in a huge, like beautiful old hospital in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, just the most gorgeous, beautiful, big building you've ever seen. It's shot on 16 millimeters, so it has that like beautiful like warm soft depth to it that makes so much sense yeah Yeah. you were thinking it felt so soft (laughs) yeah no i mean i it it definitely it felt like yeah it felt like that that's really cool i didn't realize that was the case yeah and actually um adam j minnick was pretty late to sign on to this project because they were having trouble finding a cinematographer who had experience working with film uh, instead of just digital. Oh. So yeah, they just wanted it to be on 16 millimeter and Adam was the guy and thank God he was because he adds so much to this film. Yeah. We'll the, get to that. The <laughs> stage pictures are, are unreal. Oh. Like oh. I, I, there were just so many points in the, in the, in watching it. I was just like, I had to stop and rewind because I missed dialogue. Cause I was looking at the like just looking at the stage pictures available there, like mm-hmm. just you know they'll be talking in a hallway, and there's just just incredible like flat plane gorgeous thing happening, and yeah, just like oh wow, this is so this is so good. Oh, what did they just say? I have to rewind. <laughs> yeah, this is a film that like so much attention has been paid to every detail and every movement and every word. Um, so there really is a lot you can catch if you're paying attention, which is something I'm horny for in film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's legit. It was it it was one of those things where it was just sort of like every moment in this is is meticulously like crafted to be yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it really felt that way. Like there was it felt like, uh, you know, like watching you ever see like videos of uh, people like with like 
you know, my, not microscopes, but like little magnifying glasses assembling watches. It's mm, like mm-hmm. all these little gears. Yeah. That's kind of like the, the vibe I got from it. It just felt <laughs> yeah, very, okay. everything about this movie felt so intentional. Yes. It was like, this is all done. Every aspect of this is, has a has a thought process behind it. Absolutely. And I love that. I'm addicted to that shit. <laughs> it's wonderful. Treasure hunts. They're like... Uh, films that are like archaeological digs, where like <laughs> any any corner you turn, any little piece of dust you move aside, like you can find something. Like there's something to be found. There's something to be looked at. There's some little treasure to discover. Um, mm-hmm. I love that that's, shit. That's so such a great way to put that. <laughs> and I felt like there was like a lot of allusion to other films in, in that movie, like A L L illusion, not I L L illusion. <laughs> no magic tricks. No magic tricks. No. <laughs> Um, that was something that was really cool and like what sort of like tickled the nerd bone for me <laughs> was like your nerd bone was going my off nerd, huh? my nerd bone it's like it a funny vibrating. bone it's like a funny bone but usually gets stuffed in a locker hell yeah so we're both going full dork mode for this one mm-hmm. <laughs> or full sicko mode as I like to say because it sounds cooler sicko one hundo Okay, so we'll get into all of those things as we get through it, because boy, do I have some damn notes on this bad boy. Let's see. This film, not only is it sort of nonlinear, but it kind of moves in and out of different planes. So we have like a film within a film thing going on, um, which I refer to as the interior film and the exterior film, just for clarity. There's at one point a dream sequence. There's another film that the extras are making. So there's like a few different levels on which this film is taking place. But I think at some point when you're watching it, the levels kind of become irrelevant. Like it doesn't really matter which part of this is reality, which part of it's now or before or later or inside or outside. (laughs) I think you just kind of take what's going on and aren't really as concerned with reality, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it felt at points like uh, sort of like, the the way that something like Mulholland Drive would distort time or uh, Inland Empire in particular. I've never seen either you know, of those. Oh wow, you you <laughs> dork you dork into them so good. Uh, you think so? Are those both? I think so. Are those David Lynch movies both or one? They're both Lynch They're movies. Both. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a I'm a Lynch bastard. I are you Lynchian? Oh, I'm so Lynchian. <laughs> I'm so Lynchian. See, uh, I have this thing where when I was a teen, I dated a much older man who was really mm-hmm. into David Lynch, but like so much that I came around and was like, David Lynch is annoying. Um, oh, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I get it. There so, are some like some Lynch dudes out there that aren't yeah. great. And, and uh, I have not rechecked in with any David Lynch since then, since I was 19 or 20. Oh, um, wow. And I am now, I'm about to be 33, so I probably should check in. I've been wanting to see that one, Lost Highway. Does that have Patricia Arquette? Is that yeah, David Lynch? That is. Okay. That is. That one's, I've been eyeing recently. That one's good. I love Patricia Arquette. That's really why. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd go nuts about Wild at Heart. Just uh, Yeah? Just saying. But Inland Empire does have this sort of external film and internal film. Mm-hmm. Um, aspect and there is a lot of like you sort of start in a similar way to not really 
care about what actually is happening. You just sort of let the movie take you and just show you the story, and you're not like, oh, wait, are they filming? Is this part of the, what part? Yeah. Is this the movie? Or Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, so I guess when we start, <laughs> when we start the movie, we start in the interior movie with Jess coming into the room where a sort of Nazi doctor guy and uh, a Nazi nurse lady are doing a face surgery on a patient to replace their face. And Jess stumbles in all blind. The doctor dismisses the nurse who limps out of frame, which gets called back later. And then we yell cut and you realize they're actors shooting a scene. Um, So one line into the movie, I'm going to pop off for about 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So they are filming a sort of like horror disfigurement exploitation film. Like I said, the, uh, the writer and director of this movie the the actual movie chain for life was born with a disfigurement so that's something that's sort of personal to his experience and to his interests and sort of gave him a fascination with representation of disfigurement and disability in film throughout history really but both of his features he has two features he has another movie called go down death they both deal with this topic and they both reference other films that also deal with this topic and I think uh, most of what this film is is him having observed how disfigured people have been treated throughout cinematic history and not only sort of working through his thoughts and feelings on that also giving us as a viewer a bit of the history but also responding to it directly from a disabled or a disfigured person's point of view, which you never see. And then also giving us, as the viewer, a little bit to chew on throughout this, making us sort of think about our place in this as well. Starting with, we sort of jump out of the gate with this Nazi doctor guy, which I mentioned, playing a part in a horror disfigurement exploitation film. That feels like such a mouthful. Uh, Set in the (laughs) 1940s. Um. So having him be like this German doctor, uh, this German Nazi doctor sort of character, gave the film uh, not only a nod to German eugenics, but also the hospital that they're staying in, in this film, Carnegie ran. And Carnegie has a eugenics history in America. So it's not only bringing in Nazi eugenics, but also American eugenics. So that's just interesting. Wow. Yeah, I that was far over my head. That's awesome. And then, sorry, I really am just going to pop off for a long time. Say goodbye to Frank. Pop it. <laughs> pop it, please. I have not done this Kayla level research. I just have my dumb little notes here. Oh, was, this part was... No, it's great. No. <laughs> You're learning in real time, and that's actually great. If you had as many notes as I had, then it wouldn't be an interesting conversation. You would just be like, uh, yeah, I know. Um, yeah Yeah, read that too yeah we have the same internet well you can rely on me being unreliable okay so also so also having this interior film be a sort of period piece because the interior film is set the the director says it's set in the 1940s i don't think that's ever necessarily said out loud in the film but you can tell it's not current day either way you can tell it's kind of a little more of a period piece So it's kind of set in a time when, you know, maybe prejudices were a little more overt 
Um, and by having this interior film be uh, a period piece from so long ago and then still having the exterior film be in the present day, present timeline, whatever. In that way, we can also sort of observe and examine how much or how little things may have changed throughout history, throughout that time, uh, in the way that uh, disabled and disfigured people are treated. It's like a lot of this movie references the 1932 film Freaks, and on the set of that film, the disfigured and disabled people had to eat in a separate cafeteria because the able-bodied people said they made them puke. So that doesn't really happen now, but if he would have made the whole film in that older time period, it would be a lot easier as an audience to separate ourselves from that kind of behavior. Just to say that's like outdated behavior. And, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not like that, you know. But a lot of this is about bringing attention to how we do treat it now, also causing us to examine our own prejudices and our own thoughts and our own reactions to uh, disabled and disfigured people. Um, <laughs> I'm stoked. Frank's napping while I go on my podcast. I'm very much enjoying what you have to say. <laughs> um, okay, so although this movie has some representation of filmmaking to it, it's not really about filmmaking, but more about representation in film and how that's been throughout history and also how that can possibly like influence our perceptions of certain things. And they show that through both the film and the set. So by having that filmmaking aspect to this movie, they're showing sort of both sides of that. Because disabled and disfigured people throughout history have almost exclusively been utilized as either the object of horror or inspiration porn and rarely just get to be normal. And and even if you think about it, like with all the diversity movements and the conversation around um, representation in film, gender-wise and sexuality and things like that are always coming up ethnicity but not really disfigured or disabled representation as much Um, and even the director said with his experience doing this movie and doing festivals with this was that he felt that people were trying so hard to be pc that the conversation around it got shortened uh, or not talked about at all because people are scared to say the wrong thing or feel like they don't have the right to speak on the issue and they're just kind of scared to even address it, mm-hmm. which sucks. So they yeah, just kind of get think... left out entirely. Sorry. Now you can talk. No, um, <laughs> I think like it, it's an interesting lens to watch this through, like having seen Todd Browning's Freaks. You know, I think that the concept of the freak show mm-hmm. has become the inspiration porn. Like I think this sort of gawking at these very normal people trying to live normal lives who are disabled or disfigured, like is the new version of of the traveling freak show. Like, mm. you know, people want something to gawk at, and the thing that they would like to gawk at has not changed, just the presentation of it has. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that, to me, seemed like a point this film was making. I, there is that part where, well, I mean, first of all, all of the disabled and disfigured people in the film are bust in while all yeah. of the other actors in the film get private limos and cars Mm -hmm. and then the disfigured and disabled people in the film have to stay sleeping in the hospital Mm -hmm. 
and one of the characters, Stephen Plunkett's character, walks away and says, oh boy, I'd, l- I'd give a million bucks to know what goes on in there. Yeah. And like, it's just this this gawking, gross, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so getting getting off uh, topic here, sorry. <laughs> no, you're okay. But yeah, part of part of what his motivation was for or really curiosity was around um, exploring the subject a whole lot is like, is the way these people have been represented in film, let's see, is it influencing the way that able-bodied people react to disabled and disfigured people because of the way they've been represented in film? Or is the way they're represented in film part of some like primal feeling that we have and we're just putting out anyway? Whether film was influencing thought or film was a reflection of thought, I guess, is really the simplest terms you could put that in. It's interesting to um, think about. Moving on in the movie here. Thank you for riding with me on this wave. (laughs) (laughs) Is this interesting? I'm very interested. (laughs) Okay, great. Thanks for the reassurance. (laughs) Because I think this is so cool, but I'm like, am I just full dork mode? I don't know. This is still before before the extras is what they're referred to, all the disabled and disfigured actors. Um, this is before they have arrived still. So we do get like a great scene. There's a couple of these like like uh, wide entryway shots. I don't know what you call the space of this place, entryway or hallway um, shots of this like people like running around everywhere, total chaos, like somebody has a prop they can't figure out where to put down. There's like a boom guy running past. There's like people with questions who can't find somebody to talk to, you know, just like kind of chaos everywhere. This shot, this first one is maybe our first like real glimpse in this film of some of the the genius cinematography from Adam J. Minnick. And he does a couple of these shots throughout the movie, these sort of like the wide ones, but also just kind of following one person through a crowd and then sort of shifting and following another person kind of things. And they're just so cool. Yeah, a lot of like complex blocking for actors. Yeah. Yeah. The camera in this film, I think it's almost like its own character a lot of the time. Like the cinematography the first time I watched this film was one of the the biggest standouts to me, too. It's just so fun. Yeah. Gives you butterflies in your tummy. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely parts and like things you just wouldn't expect and are like, oh, my God, that's perfect. That's exactly what should happen right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you just don't see you don't see the shit whipped around like that. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> For real. And I think like the specific choices around who gets extreme close-ups at what point and how those shift out of that, it's beautiful. I mean, that doesn't really happen in that scene, but it is great. But it happens throughout the movie and like, yeah, it's, it's always very interesting. It keeps you on your toes. I watched The Player, Robert Altman film. Have you seen that? <gasps> oh, I just watched that. Really? I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. I watched Are you talking the about player. the intro sequence? Yeah, because there there are some of also the same sort of camera movement that we see in these big massive scenes mm-hmm. in that film. So I, I think there it has to be directly inspired from that because it's just such a unique movement. I think. Yeah, I I, I certainly would not be surprised. I it's it's also that sort of thing where you're like you know when you watch something like Birdman or I don't know if you've seen Victoria. Oh yeah, you did Victoria on the show, right? No. No. I wanted um, to do Victoria on the show and it has not happened yet. 
<laughs> oh, so I haven't watched movies. it, but you told me to watch it. It's, it's been beautiful. on the list for the pod forever. But it's a it's you know like Birdman. Birdman is obviously not not one take, but looks like one take. Victoria is one take. But in watching both of those, like sometimes I feel like you become very conscious of the fact that it is one take. But in those points in this movie, I just sort of lost myself in it. Like I mm-hmm. didn't. I wasn't even. It's nice to stop thinking about it because it's so great. Yeah, you're just you're just along for the ride. You're just being whipped back and forth on that little coaster without a care in the world about where you're going. <laughs> totally, <laughs> a little coaster. The little coaster. Also, the player just mentioned also mentions the film Freaks, the Todd Browning film Freaks in the movie. Oh, oh my God. It does. <laughs> I watched them almost back to back, so I just thought it was crazy. Like, I had just seen Freaks, and then I watched the player, and they go, oh, Whoopi, Whoopi uh, Goldberg, ever heard of her? Uh, she's in that film, <laughs> and, and she just goes, oh, the, you know, this other detective just watched this movie. He was just telling me about it. What was it? And he goes, Freaks, and then they do the one of us thing. But it was just uh, so random. It, it's almost random in that movie, too. Like, it's a random placement. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're like, what's going on there? But it's wild that um, that all three of those movies, this movie, The Player, and The Player from 1992, and Freaks from 1932, would all have some connection, you know, over 90 years of film. Yeah. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> so there's me also going too deep on uh, Freaks and The Player. <laughs> <laughs> Also, in these types of scenes, you really see, too, like, we kind of already mentioned just, like, how detailed every fucking aspect of this movie is. But, like, these little bits of conversations you pick up as you're kind of zooming through in and out of this crowd. Throughout the movie, this happens. I mean, so many good golden lines you can Mm -hmm. pick up just listening to, like, these little bits of conversations happening in the background. Um, I'm really trying to resist just reciting the script. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I have a bunch of them written down. (laughs) I do, too. (laughs) There's just so many great, great lines in this film. And um, it just, the magic wouldn't be there if we just sat here and went, hey, remember when he said, uh, I'm not a blind, (laughs) I don't have magic powers. And then, like, that was really good. And... (laughs) Aren't eyes, like, all the same shape? I don't know if that's true. I don't see how you can just make a statement like that. Can you touch a person's eyes and tell me if they're beautiful or... Monstrous? Well, me, maybe no, but I'm not a blind... You know, I don't read Braille, I don't have superhuman musical abilities, but Frida... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Disagree. Even if it is... It isn't. The scene, so I don't know if we're ahead of this or behind Mm. it. The scene where Mabel? Jess's character. Yes. You're you're speaking of, yeah. Yes. When she's speaking with the reporter. Mm, That's a little bit ahead. Okay. We're almost there, though, because in between here and there is the makeup trailer. Yes, okay. So in the makeup trailer, they're just talking a lot about beauty and, you know, they're being really kind of gross about it. I mean, they're just like, oh, I have a facial hair. Like, it's so Mm. terrible, you know, blah, blah, blah. Also, in that dialogue not to go back to reciting line for line but they start the conversation by talking about tattoos and just saying like oh i could never get a tattoo and then jess goes like 
Yeah, Marked for Life. And Marked for Life is the original title of the interior film happening in this film. So it's self-referencing there. That was just a catch I caught. I didn't I didn't I didn't catch that. <laughs> well, on the fourth time watching it or so, <laughs> you start to catch some crap, I guess. But yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's extra gross to be all like, you have to pluck my chin hair is like so disgusting and like whatever. Being like that when, first of all, they are like literally the definition of beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also like they're about to work with people who are like severely disfigured. It just makes it like even more gross that they're so concerned about like this stupid shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like a good place, I think, to set up, you know, what these characters' biases are. And yes. you sort of get a view into that and and to just how unconscious of those biases the characters are. Yes, absolutely. Because they haven't yet also been confronted with the disfigured and disabled people. They have not arrived yet at this point in the movie. Mm-hmm. So this is just them being them, loose as hell. Also, I was thinking about, because they were mentioning tattoos and stuff, it never really occurred to me to also think about what disfigured people might think about body modification. Mm. I mean, a tattoo is a pretty like light form of body mods, but like there are some some more intense versions of body modifications that people get pretty regularly. And it never really occurred to me, like, how would a disabled person feel about that? Yeah, I mean... Somebody choosing to look that way. Feels very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because uh, these are things that require a certain amount of pain and commitment and, you know, cost. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it's interesting, too, you know, in the context of the of the film, they're talking about electrolysis and plucking chin hairs and later talking about how the, the facial mask that they're wearing burns while they wear it, mm-hmm. and that means it's mm-hmm. working. And, like, I think it's interesting, the perspective of the characters, like, the pain that they will endure, the cost in every sense of the word that they will endure to look a certain way. You know, when these characters are all, all already all like traditionally beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's something interesting there just with the idea that you're making a, a sacrifice in so many different ways to change the way you look. And yeah, I think that... I I mean I have no idea what a disfigured person might think of that but just just a thought. It's just something to think about. This whole movie is just shit to think about. It really is. <laughs> Cuz I don't want to talk about I'm sorry. No, I mean go ahead. I just I want to make it clear I'm if I'm you know saying I would like to know what a disfigured person would think about this. I'm not at all assuming that all disfigured people would have the same opinion of this. Just well, to be yeah, very clear. Obviously. <laughs> But yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, this is kind of just getting to to be more broad, but like, I think this movie is just like posing questions. I don't think it ever really answers a lot of them. It just is supposed to make you ask or make you think about certain things. So like, it's okay that we don't have an answer for some of these questions that we do have. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I usually feel like that is sort of the point. Like, Mm -hmm. I think as an artist myself, like, obviously I don't make film, but like... Hey, you made a music video recently. 
I did something like that. And and it um, was gorgeous and very cool. Oh, thank you very much. We should have talked about that up top. It's honestly. all right. We we can just We can talk about it forget at about bottom. It. Okay. <laughs> um but like, you know, I think that asking questions is is the goal of art. I mean, at least for me and for the way that I look at art, I don't like being shown the answers. You know, I, yeah. I don't think that that's satisfying. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think asking questions and allowing the viewer or the person experiencing the work to form their own questions around the information presented, uh, I think that's the magic. You know, like, that's where it feels yeah. like, oh, this is fucking changed me watching this and you know that's always the most rewarding part of uh, of film to me absolutely yeah and more like changed for life am i right oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's my my jeff bezos laugh <laughs> <laughs> i like movies <laughs> oh that's pretty good <laughs> thanks Frankie's been working on their uh, impressions and sound effects. Um, <laughs> not sure how much of our early sound effects work we'll leave into the recording, but um, just you should know as an audience. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring Foley artist. Here's number three. This is Keys. <laughs> so you can use that in your film. Um, um, Frankie's sound bucks, effect please. name is uh, Lamar's. <laughs> Lamar sound effects. Sound effects is all one word. And none of the vowels are correct. It's like no effects, but uh, sound, sound effects instead. Yes effects. <laughs> Lamar yes effects. Um, okay, back to the movie. Mm-hmm. Jess gets interviewed about her part in this film, which you wanted to bring up. Did you have a thought on that? I just thought this was uh, an excellent... And I mean, this whole... The exposition of this film, I feel like, is pretty long and pretty lush. Mm-hmm. I thought that this conversation felt to me very much like a thesis statement where the reporter is is asking, you know, how she feels as a sighted person playing someone who is blind. Mm-hmm. And Cuz her character in the interior film is a blind person. Yes. yes. And her response is like, oh, well, Orson Welles played Othello and he could play a black person and, you know, was sort of like talking about blindness in a way that A, seemed very ill-informed and very um, condescending. Mm. You know, she was like, I just feel like all blind people, you know, must feel excluded. And, you know, while at the same time she's viewing Orson Welles' blackface as a skill and as like something to be praised, Mm -hmm. I think it was a great way of talking about like we know that disfigured disabled people and people who aren't us who aren't me who aren't you um that we can somehow understand another person's experience that we have absolutely nothing to do with and her sort of you know assertion that because she's an actor she can understand that and that she does know what the experience of blind people would be like and and can draw from that and i i i think that that was one of my favorite things about about the start of the film was yeah. it just felt like here's a dinner tray and on the dinner tray is all the problems we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we experienced this to some degree also as queer people. Yeah. I mean, people who have a gay friend or have seen Brokeback Mountain <laughs> think that like they understand <laughs> yeah. fully 
queer experience or they, they'll yeah. say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gay by proxy or something. And it's like, <sighs> y- but you don't, you know, oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. you just really don't. Uh, even if you think you do, you know, sorry, but you don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as both of us, queer and trans people. Uh, yeah, we experience that sort of thing. I think a lot, at least I do. And I, and I just feel like you can relate also. I definitely, I think yeah. so much of like, well, I, you know what? I don't even want to get into it, but <laughs> that's okay. I mean, I'm sort yeah. of relating to opposite things, but like, I don't know. I'm just trying to bring in my experience to, to relate this to something I have personally experienced. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know. I, I, I think if I get into it, I'm just going to start complaining about You're very specific things. And I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to. That's okay. Yeah. You're going to pop off too hard. And you know what? Sometimes you got to keep the pop off in. <laughs> the pop off is staying on. <laughs> but yeah, in regards to her equating or or even just saying it's okay for an, an able-bodied person, a seeing person to play blind or a, a white person to play black. Or she mentions another example of, I don't remember who it was, somebody playing uh, somebody with autism, maybe. I, I can't remember. But mm-hmm. anyway, I mean, it's kind of asking, like, at what point do you say it's okay for you to portray somebody that you're not? And, and at what to what degree? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is playing a disabled character similar to playing blackface? And, and why is it or why is it not? You know, and, and where's the line on what's okay? Because we still see, like, mainstream, like, able-bodied, neurotypical people playing like people with disabilities or people with autism or you know all kinds of other things that that they ain't but we're still Mm -hmm. seeing it and they are still winning awards for the shit so like why is it different than playing blackface you know just something to think about i don't think this movie doesn't necessarily answer that question and and maybe there's not like a really a hard line or an answer to be had but you know it's another one of those things to think about Mm mm-hmm and I, I think that that setting up that question the way that they did in this one was was perfect. And like even me, I'm someone who has thought about this quite a bit. But like you know, even though I have thought about it and you know have processed it a little bit, like it invited me to reopen that discussion with myself. Like, mm-hmm. what do I think about this? And like, what is right? And and why is one thing culturally acceptable and another thing not? Yeah. Absolutely. They also do say, lightening it up, um, they do say when she's asked about the casting of the disfigured people and is it exploitative the way that they're treated in the film or the the way they're represented. And she says, like, I think the director had a like very serious asthma or something as a child. So this is like pretty personal to him. <laughs> and he also says he grew up in the circus. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, he, uh, yeah, did you hear he grew up in the circus? <laughs> yeah. Which uh, was just funny. And and Charlie Corsmo playing the director in this film also is doing like a sort of Warner Herzog like <laughs> impression, <laughs> which is just all very funny. <laughs> and people do doubt whether or not he is European throughout yeah. the film as well. Which is also great because like, you know, sometimes his, his German accent like isn't perfect. <laughs> it is kind of like a caricature of an accent. So like adding in those little bits of like, I don't even know if he's German, you know, like that is kind of like, I don't know, a self-addressing or just being like, you know, I see this too. And it's like, eh, whatever, it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought that's funny. But also, is an American 
person playing a German person similar to blackface? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like they're kind of far <laughs> from each other. Uh, I think they do share a couple of things in common, um, but they they seem a little distant to me. <laughs> I don't think there have ever been really any American <laughs> German minstrel shows. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> and then just on the, bringing it back down again, uh, on the choice of making Jess Weixler or like an able-bodied person just in general, uh, the star of this film and sort of the, the character that we're riding with most of the time versus making a disabled person the star like was just another deliberate choice to like force the audience to see themselves to to identify with a person who is reacting in real time to the people around her and not just sitting here empathizing with someone who is sad because they're being treated poorly like obviously that's sad you know mm-hmm. But having a more complicated main character going through a more complicated emotion and sort of forcing you as the viewer go through those emotions with her and and examine those same things with her. I think that was a a great choice as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. And then the extras arrive by the busload, as we mentioned, (laughs) all at once. Jess and Adam go to the... I don't know, outside, what do you call this, a garden area? Yeah, to uh, To talk about acting. And Jess is un- en- entirely unable to look at him at yeah. all for like the first three <laughs> minutes. She's just looking, will glance at him, look at the ground, glance mm-hmm. at him, like turn around, clearly having a lot of difficulty actually facing him. There's sort of a lot of things going on here. She, as an actress um, in real life, not in this movie... <laughs> Because she is also playing an actress. Aye, aye, aye. Um, okay, so in real life, she has said in an interview that like she noticed hanging around a lot of the cast of this movie and hanging around Adam a lot during the filming and stuff that basically the first 10 minutes of any interaction between him and another person, him and a stranger, is him trying to make them comfortable around him because mm-hmm. he does have a neurofibromatosis. So he has like a pretty severe facial disfigurement and his facial expressions because of that are harder to read or or they're different to read you know Um, you have to get a different feel of how he's communicating Mm -hmm. than maybe what you're used to and yeah so that was just something she was noticing like in her real interactions with them too is like man it must suck that like the first several minutes of you talking to anyone is just you trying to placate them to make them feel better. Like that Mm -hmm. sucks. I also thought it was interesting just prior to this scene, um, Mm -hmm. she does enter the bathroom to sort of rehearse her introduction to Rosenthal, where she clearly had at least a little bit of distress about the moment of meeting him. Yeah, and there's there's also like a layer where she's the star of this movie. She's an actress, and she's always being observed, whether it's on film or off. Like, she's a star, and people are watching her, and cameras are watching her, and all of her interactions are sort of observed in that way. So... If she does a wrong thing, maybe that carries some weight, too. So maybe that's also why she wants to prepare so hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But okay, going into their actual interaction with each other. First of all, so Adam is really concerned about learning all of his lines, which is just sort of funny because when he was cast in this film, the director actually saw him in Under the Skin 
first and said, that's my guy. I want him. But was unclear on whether he could actually act or not because in Under the Skin, he only has like a couple minutes worth of a part and it's mostly Mm -hmm. improv. So like he was like, okay, well, I've cast him in my movie, but like, can he act for a two hour film? Um, Can he learn lines? Like, I don't really know, um, but we're kind of going with it because he was the perfect casting for the part. He actually was already writing a part for an English person with neurofibromatosis. So that's really (laughs) sort of inspired by the elephant man. So like the elephant man, I think, was just thought to have neurofibromatosis at one point, but maybe actually didn't something like that. So he was kind of writing with that sort of a guy in mind and then saw under the skin and goes whoa but anyway so like a lot of adam's lines throughout the whole movie are just like oh i've got to learn my lines oh i can't learn my lines you know um so i just thought that was kind of funny because that was actually a concern with casting him in the film was can he learn lines wow that's a funny (laughs) that's a funny bit of info and for what it's worth as a person who's only been in one other one or two other films that he was great he was excellent i think he maybe does something on tv overseas Mm. that we don't catch but yeah so he hadn't been in that many things as far as i know so he asks her for acting advice at which point first of all the camera here slowly becomes like adam's point of view he kind of like dissolves and then the camera is his eyes um which was just a gorgeous camera movement incredible flawless it blew my mind i was it was beautiful yeah you got butterflies in the tummy (laughs) yeah i absolutely did it was uh, it was one of those moments where you're just like yeah that's the perfect thing that's that's the perfect thing to do right here (laughs) it can't be any better it's perfect and gorgeous and you don't expect it and that that sort of thing i mean we've already kind of said but like it happens a couple of times throughout this movie or you know AKA all of this movie um, <laughs> that like you, you never expect really, you never expect what the camera is going to do, but you also never expect anything that happens. Anytime you think, you know, what's about to happen. You don't keeps you on your toes. And I just love that as yeah. a person who's seen, you know, way too many movies and is watching movies all the time. Having a movie that can keep you on your toes gets less and less frequent of an experience. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a gorgeous thing when it happens. So the camera thing happens, which is gorgeous. She gives him acting lessons, but they're all face-based acting lessons. Mm-hmm. So she says, tell me an emotion. And he says, like, sad. And so she, like, whatever, does a frown and, like, makes tears come in her eyes. And etc. It's all face-based, which is, you know, her teaching him how to act based on facial features or facial expressions is sort of tone deaf because of the way his face is. It ain't going to work the way that hers does, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and she requests that he give her some suggestions of emotions for her to portray. Mm-hmm. And he says sadness and happiness and then empathy. Mm-hmm. And she is really taken aback by that one. And she's like, oh, well, this one's very advanced. And <laughs> that was a hell of a moment. I felt like I got punched in the chin. Uh-huh. Yep. That was, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And we also don't see that from her, by mm-hmm. the way. The camera changes around to be on him. So. Uh-huh. So, sure does. So that's just interesting. <laughs> Also, just a note on his name being Rosenthal. So I, like I said, also watched this director's other film, Go Down Death. And in that film, there's also a main character named Rosenthal. Oh. And I said, what's the deal with this Rosenthal? 
thing. What's going on with this Rosenthal motif? So I asked him, like, what's the deal with both your main characters being named Rosenthal? And he said, first of all, I liked the name because for some reason it seems to work as a standalone name. Like, it's unclear if it's his first name or his last name. It's like Madonna. He didn't say Madonna, but Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. And it can be aristocratic or mundane depending on the context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. And he was like... I didn't really want to reuse the name, but but he goes, I couldn't think of anything better. And also, I figured no one saw Go Down Death anyway, so no one would notice. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, it means nothing, and he just liked the name, uh, which I think is kind of funny. You know, like, like I said, these movies are like archaeological digs. Like, there's always some connection to be found, some reference, some, some nugget you know mm-hmm. and just to have something that seems like a nugget but actually means nothing maybe maybe a more obvious nugget that actually means nothing i think that's kind of funny it's kind of almost <laughs> a prank <laughs> red herring is that what that is red herring yeah i don't know maybe is it might I be don't, i, don't really I know should what know what that means i have no you went to college idea. <laughs> i kind of did well i didn't go at all in any way not even kind of so you're ahead of me all right all right <laughs> So I think after this, we go to the hotel room. Jess and the other actress, Sari, I think her name's Sarah character, are like doing face masks. And you see on the TV that there's a, uh, a story, a news story, breaking news, of a wanted man with facial markings. They don't say why, I don't think. Just that he seems suspicious. I think that there was a murder. <laughs> Police seeking man with facial markings. Locals describe abnormal face suspect. Hashtag marked man. <laughs> is what the thing says. Yeah, later we find out that there was a murder. But they, oh, I don't okay. think they say it on the news. They just say he was suspicious. <laughs> marked um, for life, maybe. Oh, <laughs> so the next day a cop comes to the hospital looking for anyone with quote-unquote identifying markings and people tell him to find tetralini so a couple times throughout the film somebody will say like i have some issue like joanna arno earlier in the movie is like oh i need a truck moved like who who can i talk to to get this truck moved and then again when this cop comes people say ask tetralini find tetralini so tetralini is actually the name of the quote-unquote freak wrangler in the 1932 film freaks so just a little reference to freaks again incredible i don't think we ever actually find who tetralini is (laughs) no but yeah that's a nod to freaks then we get to adam's entrance into the interior movie which is that like five minute long scene of him just with a black background uh, attempting to step out of the shadows So this has been, I think, historically, like, everyone's favorite scene. It seems to be the most talked about scene in this movie. And it is really fun. What do you think about this? Uh, I thought it was fucking fantastic. I thought just the the dialogue alone, like... Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) Like, now, step out of the shadows into the light. Like, Mm -hmm. just, it was amazing. And, like, it it was another one of those things where it was, like, it's not saying anything specific. But it is a question like that. That entire scene felt so satisfying to me in that, like, I didn't feel like I was being told something. I feel like I was being shown something that I should think about. Yeah. He's asking, why do I need to come out of the shadows? And the only people who are ever seen coming out of the shadows in films are people who are disfigured or celebrities. And in the film, they reference Orson Welles appearing in the Muppets movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
and they're so it's so serious which is really funny and also they give like a whole synopsis of this Muppets movie and um, the director was like I don't even know if that's right I was going off of memory from having seen it as a kid so I don't even know if the synopsis might even not be right but um, they're so serious do you know the Muppets you would love them they're not fully men not fully beasts they're like the Greek god Anubis (laughs) it's like I know who the Muppets are. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but first of all, it's hilarious. But secondly, in a way, he's sort of likening a disfigured person to being similar to a half man, half beast. Like you would mm-hmm. like the Muppets because they're half men, half beasts like you, you know? Yeah. Just piling them on there, but just delivered in such like the whole film. Like it's making you think about things that are really serious, but it's also like really funny at the same time. <laughs> It's really funny, silly, goofy, but also yeah. it's making you think about things that are really more somber to think about. I think that's uh, across It's not too the... heavy, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think across the board, that's like one of the greatest strengths of the writing is that like it doesn't play fast and loose necessarily, but it doesn't like the movie has a very, very clear message in what it at least wants the viewer to be asking themselves. While at the same time, that message does not feel heavy-handed. I don't feel like it's being drilled into my head. It's not being preachy. Yeah, yeah, that's the word, yeah. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Like, it doesn't feel preachy in any way, but it does make you think. And I think it makes you think in a more, it makes you think in more complex and layered ways than maybe anybody else has accomplished who's tried to do the same thing. (laughs) Like, because... I mean, as we go through this, we've already mentioned like 10 different things that's made us think or more things that's made us think about in different ways and different like little aspects to a disabled or disfigured person's experience and and their relationship with able-bodied people and and our relationship with them and just in all these nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. And, and it keeps making you think about that and making you ask different questions throughout the movie too so it's not just one question it's many questions it's very interesting how they're able to accomplish that yeah in a way that doesn't make you think like they're being annoying i think one of my uh favorite parts in that step out of the light scene Mm -hmm. was when the director was saying you need to take one solitary step out of the shadows into the light i think is the is the line (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i just felt like that was really powerful in a way that i can't really describe so who -hmm. knows maybe cut that statement out (laughs) i think no leave it in um, it felt powerful to you it's powerful yeah a solitary step out of the shadows into the light like you know what does that mean for a person who feels like they uh, often have to hide from the world, you know, Mm -hmm. to take one single step. Uh, I I thought that that was, uh, again, not a clear message, but something to think, something to to chew on. Hell yeah. Is this the, uh, when Stephen Plunkett's character grabs his camera? Yes, that is what's next, actually. And I love what they did with the camera again. I mean, the camera that we are looking out of turns into the camera that they are taking a picture with, which is just Mm -hmm gorgeous beautiful i mean movements like this throughout the movie and and in that scene earlier that we talked about too with um the acting lessons like i think they also serve to remind you that you are an observer and that the people here are being observed you know Mm -hmm. Uh, the lines are kind of always blurred by like who's watching who's seeing and whose eyes are we looking through 
at any time Mm -hmm. and who's being seen. They just always kind of snap you to attention about that. Uh, And I think that's really cool. Yeah, this this particular scene was maddening to me. It drove me (laughs) nuts. Yeah. You know, he comes out, grabs, like, asks Rosenthal what kind of camera he's using and doesn't wait for a response, (laughs) just snatches it out of his hand. Doesn't he do a little toss with it, too? Oh, yeah. He just fucking tosses it in the air. a little cool guy toss. Yeah. And, like, he's just going on saying the most insufferable things possible, (laughs) like... You know, things must come so easy to you. Your God has given you a gift and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. oh, oh, my God. <laughs> like forces him to take a picture with him uh-huh. in a way that also felt very freak show. And then once they take a photo, he doesn't like how they have posed. So he literally grabs Rosenthal's hand and shifts it to a way that he prefers the the photo be taken. Mm-hmm. Oh, the whole thing was maddening. I just, I couldn't even handle it. Yeah, and just like complete disregard for um, Rosenthal's feelings at all in this. Yeah. <laughs> but he thinks he's being cool guy. He's being charismatic and, you know, he just may be taking up more space than he deserves as a classic man would. As they do. <laughs> and then, you know, there's that moment where he steps away and he's he's got this insecurity. Oh, do you do you not like me? What's up with that? Like, mm-hmm. sorry, that whole scene just drove me crazy. <laughs> drove you crazy, but in a cool way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love it. I love feeling that way. I love when a movie ruins my day. I love it. Hell yeah. And we're both addicted to that shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is why I knew... <laughs> You'd be the person for the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I think after that is when they're in sort of the courtyard area and Jess's character and another lady are sort of sitting there observing everyone around the courtyard. And this is maybe like the first time that we're, we're really taking in all the different characters that have come here. I think because they're kind of pointing them out one by one and going, who's that? Who's that? Mm -hmm. You know, there is an intersex character named in this film, Jack Jacqueline, who is split down the middle, half man, half woman. That's another freaks reference to Mm -hmm. Josephine Joseph. There's like burn victim who's been burned on like 90% of her body. There's a, a tall man. There's conjoined twins who are not conjoined in real life, but are twins. And she also sees in this time Rosenthal dancing with a a woman and has like a bit of a flickering bit of jealousy when she thinks it's maybe his wife. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that the jealousy and in that same conversation, they're talking about whether or not they think the conjoined twins are faking it. Mm, mm -hmm. The same part where they're saying is the director faking it too. Yes. Yeah. They're sort of questioning everyone's legitimacy as to Mm -hmm. who they're presenting as. And they use this phrase, uh, I thought Siamese twins were phased out, which mm. is a wild thing to say. But that also goes into like the eugenics conversation that happens sort mm-hmm. of through line through this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't remember that line, but yeah, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're just having a party at this time. I think the cop is still hanging around. <laughs> Yeah. There's a pig line there. That guy is actually a cop in real life, too. That's his real life cop uniform. So oh, wow. He's also in uh, 
go down death. So the cast and crew of able-bodied people all walk over to a hotel together, but the extras have to stay in the hospital in one big room, Annie style, orphanage style. (laughs) Orphan Annie. Ever heard of her? (laughs) So yeah, they say the hotel doesn't have enough rooms and isn't accessible to people with disabilities, which is... Mm. uh, interesting (laughs) but that's just another homage to like i said those those older film sets where the able-bodied cast and crew and the disabled and disfigured people were kept in separate quarters like wizard of oz they were i mentioned freaks already when they had to eat in separate quarters like Mm -hmm. yeah just another little homage to that stuff there are definitely some moments i think in this sort of section of of the movie that are are really frustrating. And I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as they're walking away, there's that line, oh, I'd give a million bucks to know what goes on in there. Yeah. When it's just a group of people sharing a room together. Like... Chilling. hmm Like, what do you think goes on in here? It's people and they're chilling. What are yeah. you doing? <laughs> and you also get in this, as they're walking away, Jess looking back and seeing the burned woman in the window who is also her like it's her what do they call it like her double later in the movie when she Mm -hmm. her character in the interior film gets burned that's her so she's looking back and she's maybe having a feeling like i don't know if this is right am i them or Mm -hmm. you know it's just like something going on there with her too yeah i think what's clear is that the character like her character is definitely having some kind of either realization or struggle or the wheels are turning for her in a the way wheels that seems are to make her turning. Dis- yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But not turning enough to convince her to do anything about it. Yes. <laughs> Even though as like the gorgeous actress, like star of the film, like she is in a position of power. She doesn't use that to help anybody. <laughs> nope. Then they watch the dailies, the filming from the day. I, I really loved how this scene looked. So everyone in this room, I guess, all sitting together, all cuddled up. You don't see the film at that moment, but you do see like the colors going on their faces all looked really cool. Mm-hmm. And you also get another like look from Jess's face of concern where she's sort of starting to realize that this movie may be a little exploitative, like mm-hmm. in she maybe wasn't thinking about it all the way before. And what do you think about this part? I thought it was visually really beautiful. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think I picked up a lot on what I thought she may have been thinking about. I think I was sort of just taken with with the red and the blue, mm-hmm. like very beautiful the colors pictures Duke that were there. The colors, the colors, Duke. The colors, because <laughs> I, I think it was one of those points. And there was, as I mentioned earlier, there Thanks, was so Frank. many points in the movie. <laughs> there are so many points in the movie where I literally lost you blacked out certain threads because i was distracted by other things that were happening by the gorgeousness Mm -hmm. she sort of gives like a an empathetic look to uh rosenthal (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we see she can make the face we also do get we do get some shots of the internal movie so there is a gorgeous shot of uh, Sari Lennox and Sammy Mina in the mirror, the mirror scene where the mirror is kind of cracked and uh, Sari Lennox is like looking in the mirror and then has to turn around and gasp as Sammy Mina pops out behind her. Mm-hmm. Sammy Mina is also in both of uh, this director's films and uh, in both films as well in a mirror. So 
I just thought that was interesting. Oh. He's actually the one who plays the character of Rosenthal in Go Down Death. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> also, that scene was real. So it, it's them just getting multiple takes of like her turning around and gasping as he comes out behind her. And so, you know, they'll cut like do it on this mark or like do it a little sooner or, you know, whatever, giving notes on her performance and making her do it again. That was actually real, real cuts and restarts. And she didn't know it was part of the film. Wow. <laughs> she didn't know it was going to be kept for the film so she's like all those looks you're seeing in my eyes in between of like me doing adjustments and sort of thinking too much that's all just like me as an actor like doing adjustments and thinking too much (laughs) hell yeah i love shit like that ah later in the film there's also a part where the nazi doctor guy flubs a line and that was also a real flub that they kept in so oh really which line was that they have to cut because he says like he almost says, like, my son or something like that. I can't remember what exactly the oh, line was. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a real flub, too. So <laughs> just fun. I think it's really fun that he kept those things in here. Yeah, that um, is cool. And I think at that point, we cut back to that scene earlier where the burned woman was standing in the window watching all the the rest of the cast and crew walk away to their hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get sort of a, a playthrough of what the hell was going on in there. <laughs> Yeah. The extras side of the night. It's my favorite part of the movie, by the way. Oh, it's great. And so we don't see like the rest of the cast and crew for a while at this point. Like we're just with the extras. I mean, they're fucking around. They're having a good time. They're supposed to be watching over the equipment, the cameras and crap. But instead of watching it, they're sort of fucking around with it and uh, making their own little movie. I, I just I loved this part so much. It so fun it's gorgeous and in a bunch of ways so they they sit around a campfire they're having a really interesting discussion about if having a surgery to correct a deformity is morally equivalent to getting breast implants and like if a person with a deformity could live without surgery but would just look different does that make them superficial for having surgery for going under willingly Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe kind of asking if plastic surgery in itself is a kind of eugenics. Mm-hmm. It gets pretty heated. The director was born with a cleft lip and palate, so he mm-hmm. was basically born with a hole in his face that was surgically closed. So maybe this is him doing like a self-reflection also, like mm-hmm. or an, mm-hmm. an investigation of his own situation. Am I contributing? I don't know. Just a really interesting like thought process. Yeah. And and in that conversation, Rosenthal starts coughing and coughing a lot and enough to puke. And then somebody else cut. Uh, and that's when you kind of realize that all of this was part of their little film that they were making. So it's it's almost um I mean, you didn't realize for a moment, you know? That was such a chef's kiss moment for me. I just, I felt so satisfied with that scene. Like, the conversation seemed so incredibly genuine to the point where it could have been filmed outside of the context of this, the actual real movie. And then to have that, like, the reality of it smashed and you find out that one of them had written it and then we're like chatting about writing other movies that night. Like I just, it was so wonderful to me. I don't even know how to describe it. It just, it made me feel better than any other part of this movie. Aw. Yeah. I mean, it was gorgeous. And then like, I agree with you. Like it, it does seem like just a conversation that, that anybody would be having on this type of night with your people. I can't imagine also like, I mean, just being in a group of your people, you know, mm-hmm. as a, 
person who is a minority, it's such a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. To just be with your people and be with people who at least on some level relate to your experience, even though you're all maybe a different shade. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Absolutely. To not have to adjust constantly to, you know, the the intensity and dominance of, of mainstream yeah. you know, hegemonic society, I guess is probably the word. That's a great word. Yeah, absolutely. Not having to soften any edges for them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous thing. I think also, you know, there's that part toward the beginning of the movie, and this happens a couple of times, um, where Rosenthal is like, yes, kids do not like me. Dogs and cats bark at me. And everyone around him who is not one of the extras is like, oh, no, come on. You're being so hard on yourself. And he's just like, no, this is my experience. This is what happens. Can you just like listen to me about this? And he obviously doesn't get too forceful with it. But, you know, I feel like that comfort that he didn't have there is present in those scenes, that scene around the campfire. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, yeah. And then after they yell cut, they ask Rosenthal to write a movie. They're like, write a movie. Tell us about what your movie would be if you could be anything you wanted, no holds barred, and you can look like anything and whatever. And his movie or his dream is to be a waiter. And Mm -hmm. he's like, it's something that's so normal to the rest of the world, but like to me, it's unattainable. I couldn't be a waiter. I'd scare everyone, you know? They wouldn't let me do that. I hadn't really thought about that before, but that's so interesting. And then, I don't know, it's just, it's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting thing to think about. And we get to see it here in a minute. Yeah. Because we cut back to the acid scene where one of the extras throws acid on Jess's face. And so this is, I guess, a dream sequence at this point, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, you're not really paying attention to, like I said, the levels at some point become irrelevant. Yeah. I'm not even sure what to what to call this sequence <laughs> like it it is entirely different yeah it, they always refer to it as a dream sequence but i don't know it doesn't it doesn't really feel like a dream yeah you kind of don't know what it is it just is and and mm-hmm. that's fine <laughs> yeah to be honest yeah. and that i mean i think when we first started talking about how the the film just sort of whips you around and takes you along for the ride mm-hmm. and i made the comparison with uh mulholland drive and inland empire i think this is this is right in line with that, where it's just like, you don't, as the audience, have to or really get to question why this is happening. Just watch it. And- yeah. Yeah. And that's what's going on. So in this take of the acid scene, the acid is real. And so Jess, Jess's character, whatever, um, suffers third degree chemical burns. Her face is really disfigured. And this whole sort of take of this movie Uh, or this take of this scene, this part of the movie, was inspired by the ending of, again, Freaks. (laughs) The movie Freaks. You really have to watch the two together because uh, they're so cross-referential. Really, Freaks into this one. Uh, Freaks doesn't mention Change for Life as much. Um, But... But uh, the, <laughs> the initial concept for Chained for Life was, I mean, and it morphed a lot from that concept, but the initial concept was a continuation of the ending of Freaks. So at the end of the film Freaks, all of the quote unquote freaks, they disfigure a uh, an able-bodied, beautiful woman uh, and make her quote unquote one of us, one of them. Mm-hmm. And... 
it was curious to him, like, then what does that say for her life? Like, is being disfigured the worst thing ever? Because that's kind of how they treat it in Freaks. Like, nothing worse than becoming disfigured. Um, Mm -hmm. Or does she grow from there as a person? Or, like, what happens to her after the concept for this film started? So this sort of part of the movie is reenacting that ending of Freaks and then carrying on a little bit. So they do have the extras make her become disfigured. And then we're seeing her deal with her disfigurement. So for a while, she's like drinking. She's angry. She like, she treats some guy rude in a bar. He's credited as the asshole. So I don't remember who's the asshole actually in that scene. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> say he's the asshole in the scene. Okay, right? I don't remember. <laughs> he comes in, interrupts her drink, demands mm. that she gr- be grateful for the drink that he bought her. Mm, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, calls her a bee or something like that. It's, He's okay, so he he's is, the asshole. He, he is the asshole, yes. Also, in the background <laughs> of the bar, you can see cinematographer Adam J. Menick sitting at the bar. Oh, cool. <laughs> anyway, so we see her kind of dealing with that, and then she goes to a diner and orders a tuna melt and a Diet Coke, which was what was in Rosenthal's dream. Mm-hmm. He is there as the waiter, but looks different now he no longer has a facial disfigurement i mean he's just a looks like a normal dude walked in off the street kind of looks like Stephen plunkett a little bit i thought kind of looks yeah like, maybe uh, so not nazi doctor guy nondescript you would say yeah not there you go yeah <laughs> blandness <laughs> total blandness <laughs> but it's adam pearson's voice coming out of him and he says like the doctor fixed all of us he came up with this procedure he fixed all of us and you look around the place and it's you know all of the cast of the movie but they're for lack of better words, they're normal now. <laughs> mm-hmm. The twins have been separated. and mm-hmm. Yeah. And he even says, like, I have a dog and dogs love me now. And, like, you should get the procedure. Like, you'll feel so much better. And part of what's being asked here is when Rosenthal is momentarily cured, like, how does that make us as the viewer feel? Like, is that a positive thing? Like, it seems like something you would want, but, like, or do we miss Adam? Like, do we feel some kind of loss for him? Like, mm-hmm. is his face what makes him him? What makes him special? What is it positive that he looks like a, a normal guy now? Or do we miss him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also, despite Rosenthal's, you know, dream and wishes to someday be a waiter, or at least his regret that he feels he couldn't be a waiter, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't really express a desire to change the way he looks. True. Just a desire to have access to the things that other people are able to do. That's true. So, you know, if this is her dream sequence, you know, her placing that view on what uh, Adam Pearson's character's desires would be, that seems to make sense to me. But uh, obviously it's sort of impossible to, to really say exactly what this sequence is. But I did feel very weird in that scene because I felt like, you know, Rosenthal expresses his dismay about the way people treat him and the things he's he's got access to but never really says i wish i looked different you know yeah yeah and i think i mean i'm sure there's lots of complicated feelings around it you know um Mm -hmm. and there's not really like i'm sure anybody with a disability or a disfigurement would some days wish to not have it and some days think it's a huge part of their personality Mm -hmm. same like 
I, I don't know, just trying to relate to it still. Like I think about it that way with like trauma, like some really hard things that I've gone through, like they made me who I am, you know? So yeah. like, would I choose to give those things up if I had a choice? Would I choose to mm-hmm. like um, uh, eternal sunshine, spotless mind them out of my brain? Mm-hmm. Or do those things make me who I am and then who I am is cool, you know? It's, and in, it's, it's an impossible thing to answer. Yeah. And I think like, you know, in saying that, I Rosenthal never mentioned that he wishes his uh, disfigurement wasn't the case. He also doesn't say that he does like it. You know, like there yeah. is ambiguity there mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and that is a good, you know, that's a that's a question I think about all the time of like, are the things that have been very difficult in my life that I don't like or maybe um, am embarrassed by or, you know, could haunt me, I have regrets about whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, if I didn't have those, would I be the kick-ass fucking awesome person I am all the time? Hell yeah, baby. Hey! Um, <laughs> You know, I I think, you know, sometimes it's frustrating trying to navigate queerness, for example, Mm -hmm. and particularly people's expectations of what queerness looks and sounds like. Sure. And and I know we've had this conversation both on and off pod. Yeah. Um, Just for any uh, for any normals who aren't aware, um, both Frank and I are non-binary. So we have these discussions a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And like, would I want to not be this way? No, I love it. This is great. Mm-hmm. This is perfect. I, I wish I would have figured this out a long ass time ago. Decades but, ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it's, I like these things about me, but mm-hmm. the struggles they present suck ass and they they mostly suck also when you are confronted with a a cis person's expectations of how you should be presenting Mm -hmm. um and why you aren't meeting those requirements (laughs) in their brain why you aren't meeting those standards which maybe is also relatable to a, a person who is disfigured's experience like when they're alone yeah. or when they're with other people who have disabilities or disfigurements, like they're not thinking about what's going on with them. It's not until they're confronted with the expectation of uh, an able-bodied person and they don't meet those expectations that then they go, well, this is causing me grief. Yeah. You know, when um, Nazi doctor guy is has taken Rosenthal's camera um, and then in you know, very insecurely asks whether Rosenthal does or does not like him. I thought that that moment was just full of, like, intense expectation of, like, well, I am a forward-thinking person, and I accept you, but also, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. I sort of expect and and even demand that you act a certain way to make me comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, that's that's a challenge. Wow, this is really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) We're really getting to some shit here. Hell yeah. I think it rips. Screen vomiting. Great. Perfect guess for this film. <laughs> the next scene. The next scene is the sex scene, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rosenthal is back to looking like Rosenthal. I don't know. We're snapped back into fake reality, which is the interior film. Also, how does this bad boy get the job of both boinking Scarlett Johansson and Jess Weixler? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goals, baby. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> for real. Literally in three films and two of them boinking two of the hottest chicks on earth. <laughs> 
so yeah they do have a little uh they have a little sex and the camera pans around to show also the 10 person crew watching as you know the sex is unfolding <laughs> so you're not only getting that moment between them but you're also getting the reaction of how people feel about watching what's happening which mm-hmm. is mostly sort of blank stares or or yeah. unsure how to react kind of reactions i was unsure how to interpret it i i really i watched that scene and then you know at the end when the director cuts I believe, I don't remember who it is, it was like script supervisor or something. Some mm-hmm. other person in the crew is like, oh, she dropped her German accent. Mm-hmm. And the director is like, it's fine. I want to wash my hands of this. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I've done all I can do. I must wash my hands of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still came away from that scene not really knowing how to feel about what not really knowing how to interpret what the people in the crew were thinking but even so it it felt just as satisfying um of a of a scene yeah and like their chemistry in the scene was very like it was on (laughs) oh yeah for sure i mean it was hot and heavy and just the in real life actress (laughs) outside of the movie in an interview talked about this scene saying that like it was sort of exciting to her in a way she didn't expect because there was no way to plan like how she was going to kiss Adam Pearson until she Mm -hmm. did it because his lips are not the same shape as other lips she's kissed so like Mm -hmm. there was like a sort of anxiety going into it and then when she did do it she was just kissing him and him uniquely you know like having a physical connection to another person that was entirely unique um and something she'd not experienced before and didn't know how to prepare for which was just an interesting thing to think about i wouldn't have really thought about it i think but she was like i'm i'm sad that you couldn't see it on camera because like her hair was in the way it's kind of shot from behind her head Mm -hmm. she's like it was just it was uh really interesting and sort of exciting in that way that's interesting. I, I I should look up these interviews. I'd like to. Well, hear the their the ones that I watched are on the Blu-ray extras. <laughs> oh. So get that Blu-ray, folks. <laughs> I guess so. I, I rented it on YouTube. The commentary on the Blu-ray is also very funny. Also, we we can't conclude discussion of this scene without mentioning. There's also a hog reveal. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we see hog that's, baby. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hanging brain. <laughs> We see some hanging brain and, uh, you know, just has to be noted before we can conclude (laughs) that scene. (laughs) Interior film is wrapped. Jess is back to having brown hair. She's out of character now. She's normal. People are kind of saying their goodbyes and you kind of get this like, you know, these people have kind of spent all this time together for however long shooting this film and now they're like, I don't know, maybe never going to see each other again. So it's like mm-hmm. that type of relationship. So Jess and Sari and uh, the Nazi doctor guy. I never learned his name, I guess. <laughs> I just know his real name. Uh, I, I what can't was his real it. name? 
Stephen Plunkett. Okay, so Stephen Plunkett and Sari and Jess are all in the room together. Sari leaves the room. She's the same person who was the nurse at the very opening. And as she's leaving the room, she again, she trips, which I just thought was very funny. Uh, sort of also, nod to her limping out of the room in the initial scene. What? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention that during this scene, they really wrap up the Todd Browning's freaks thing here when Jess says, one of us, and she responds, one of us. <laughs> I was so giddy at that that just it felt so perfect. To you me. did Leonardo like, DiCaprio. Bait. You pointed at the screen. I did. I did. I it was. I, I was like, yes. Okay, I know we're at the end of the movie now because they just did that, and it was perfect. <laughs> Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to interrupt, but I just, I had to talk about that part. That's great. Hell yeah. So yeah, Sari casually trips falling, (laughs) going out of the room. And I just thought that was really funny because there's really no attention paid to it at all. She just (laughs) trips and walks out. Um, Throughout the movie, they kind of rag on uh, digital versus film a couple times. They they do a couple jokes about it. They're always very funny. What's this about anti-laughing cream? Uh, It's just a joke. A derisu non procul, abest risus. Laughter is never very far from derision. Who said that? I have no idea. Um, well, it's impressive Latin. Dead language. You're keeping it alive. One day I'll be gone. Well, not you. You're immortalized on celluloid. Another dead language. <laughs> that's right so oh like, that perfect. was just good yeah and then they kiss and so like what's interesting about their kiss is like he proposed it as like what you think is supposed to happen like the hot actor and the hot actress they kiss obviously like mm-hmm. they're both hot and blah 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 but like the kiss between them is like so dissatisfying <laughs> like you kind of mm-hmm. feel nothing versus you think about the kiss earlier between her and adam is mm-hmm. like so much more satisfying and gratifying and passionate and then later when the kiss you think is supposed to happen happens you're like oh i don't know that kind of sucked yeah. <laughs> she's kind of sad afterwards even also that runs right butt up against her you know he Stephen plunkett leaves the room and then she looks down to see a little photo from Rosenthal, you know, that has a whatever he wrote on, just a little nice little note on the back. Mm-hmm. And I thought that those two sort of different ways of saying goodbye to your fellow actors in, in the film. Yeah. I think that that said a lot to me. And when she looks out the window right after that, she gets a little a little look back from him too. A quick look back mm-hmm. before he loads on his bus. Oh, the bus. The pic they took together too was also just very cute. I, I mean, there's nothing really to say about it, but it was it was uh just cute as hell. That's all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love uh, Rosenthal's quirk where he uh has to do the hang, the hang loose ten. sign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's adorable. I love that. It's so cute. I also have um, a disease where I chronically do the rock hands. So, like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) My hands just go into rock hands. I can't really help it or explain it except that I am a true rocker. And, you know, it lives within my blood and my hands uh, are no exception to my blood. The blood rushes (laughs) to your hands and they become engorged with rock blood. <laughs> you have no choice. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have no choice but to put them devil horns up in the air, <laughs> motherfucker. And wave them like I just don't care. 
Yes, I I'm addicted to the uh, to the the two finger peace sign. I, I started peace. doing that when I was 15, and it just mm-hmm. never went away. Yeah, so we all have our vices. <laughs> <laughs> Across the <to> bear. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and in these ways we relate to Adam Pearson. <laughs> I think you I think you just provided uh the thesis of the film there, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, all the extras load up on the bus to leave. Um she gets her own private car. Because she has a union card and the other actors don't. And so she gets to drive separately or be be driven even. She's in the back of this limo. She has a talkative limo driver. The camera just holds on her. It's kind of gorgeous in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a little joke about the book My Struggle uh, on (laughs) (laughs) Amazon.com. I I was curious if that was intended at all to be a Hitler reference considering the nazi doctor the like eugenics like you know because mein kampf is my struggle Mm -hmm. yeah um and i didn't i felt like if in a movie so intentional that had there had to be something there but i can't really imagine what uh yeah there probably is (laughs) (laughs) yeah big jokes big laughs and um the creds is the video of the bus it's the what's happening on the bus just everybody chilling together and you're also like who's having a better time like the people all together on the bus chilling or just by yourself i mean i also want to mention one thing and this is just like my alarm goes off anytime a lead actor a lead particularly a female lead actor who when their hair changes from blonde to brown Mm -hmm. i my my vertigo illusion like Alarm goes off, and I have to always ask myself, okay, are they referencing Vertigo for any particular reason here? <laughs> but mm. I've never seen Vertigo, although I've owned it on VHS for about uh, 15 years. <laughs> Bro, you got to go fuck your life up and watch Vertigo. <laughs> I know, I got it. It's one of the best movies ever fucking made. I don't know I why I haven't. So I, literally, I literally own it on tape, and I have forever, and I don't know why I've never watched it. <laughs> Well, hopefully and I, I watch didn't ruin any part of Vertigo for you right now. But See, the thing about me is you can't really spoil a movie for me because I'll forget what you said instantly. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Go watch Vertigo and then call me and tell me about it just off pod. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Patreon right. episode on Vertigo. <laughs> Hell, yeah. So, yeah, what we're left with at the end is like Jess driving away by herself and we're like, has she learned anything? Has any part of her changed? Did she ever really develop actual empathy for rosenthal is she going to change anything moving forward or is she instantly forgetting about this because they're over there and i'm over here Mm -hmm. and we don't know i don't think it really answers the question but we're also supposed to be her so like did we learn Mm -hmm. anything did we think about anything did we develop any empathy that we didn't have before for these characters or for people like this in general absolutely that's exactly how i felt watching that is like you know, I, I felt like it, it felt like the audience is definitely supposed to be her in that moment of like, you know, and it is ambiguous as most of the film is with its me- messaging. Like mm-hmm. the questions are very clear. The answers are not present. And, you know, I 
I love a movie that doesn't get tied up so nicely. I love a movie where you're just like, yeah, what the fuck? How about that? Yeah, (laughs) especially a movie that's making you think about things that are sort of messy and complicated and maybe inside yourself not that pleasant to address, like your own biases, your own prejudices. Like Mm -hmm. Those aren't really pleasant to address. Everyone has them. You don't really want to look at them. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. So, like, yeah, having a film that makes you, forces you to sort of ask questions about them and then leaves you to sit and reflect on them mm-hmm. without giving you any answers to what you're supposed to be feeling. Just here's the facts. Come to your own conclusions. Yeah. And I mean, you know, how could you ever say exactly what you're supposed to be feeling? Things are way too complicated than to just have an answer. Yeah. But to have at least the ca- the the capacity and openness to at least consider it and to have those thoughts and to to just, you know, you don't have to ha- you don't have to solve the problems of the world, but you do have to think about it. And you know, that's how I felt coming away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Keep the wheels turning. Like, question what you think and, and question. Why. Yeah, exactly. And Love where it, it comes Love from. Love it. And where it comes from and how it affects other people and how it affects yeah, you. Totally. And as queer people, and why we probably have related a lot of this to queerness <laughs> is like, that's part of our whole thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. We constantly have to ask those questions about ourselves. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cis straight people don't often <laughs> one hundo so <laughs> i mean but they should they, they should. should they should but that's but part maybe of why they'll find out that they're that they're that they're queer they might find that out well maybe that, so that would be beautiful for that yeah for them. i mean not everybody but you know many we see many it. eggs that's part of also why there are no honorary <laughs> queers sorry <laughs> you got to do the work honey <laughs> but I'm friends with nine gays. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so what a discussion. Um, yeah, for real. We've rolled the creds. That's the the end of the damn film. So we've come to the point where we got to score this out of five. So what do you oh, think yeah. in here? First, real quick. Sorry. Yeah. I just want to mention the titles are beautiful. Oh the, yes, yes, yes. The titles are gorgeous. Uh, Both very, top very and good bottom. Job. Yes. Um, and the in the commentary on the Blu-ray, sorry to do dork mode again, but um, mm-hmm. the director did say that um, one of the producers on the film hated that the opening titles were in the light purple. Um, hated the purple. Really? Yeah, I thought they were gorge. So, uh, uh, Aaron, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, with her. The, <laughs> the, the titles were the titles were. Uh, phenomenal honestly like they're really really beautiful and and iconic yeah just absolutely gorgeous really the entire film i mean t to b any aspect of it i mean pick one it's all gorgeous (laughs) yeah uh so rating yeah what do you think no you go i go okay i mean i can go Uh, first if you want i guess but no i'm gonna do it i'm i'm gonna do it and Um, you can give your reasoning too if you would like but we have gone pretty deep but go ahead yeah, no, no. Uh, I don't think I need to explore any further, at least on the podcast. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I gave it yesterday on Letterboxd, gave it a four. I will be switching it to a four or five um, after this discussion. Four and a half? Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Four point four point fivy. Hell yeah. Um loved it. Like uh one one for the record books for me. Will not forget this one. Hell yeah. I love to hear it. Yeah, so you know what? I think I historically have also given it a four and a half, but I also think I might I might bump mine up to a damn five. You know what I'm saying? Whoa! Because I just I love this film so much, and just learning more about it, and thinking more about it, and and discussing it with my pal Frankie, um, I think I've I may have bumped it up to a five. I just love everything about this film. I don't think there's any aspect that I don't love. It's absolutely my shit. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely everything I love about a film. My most respected traits of any film are probably creativity, which this has mm-hmm. in spades, like both in concept and execution and just showing me something I haven't seen before, keeping me on my toes, like I said. That stuff makes me excited. Gets mm-hmm. my weenie hard. Yeah. And uh, and the, the archaeological dig aspect of it, which I talked about, but like that sounds stupid, but like, that is something I love about a film, and that's why I know all this random shit about all these movies, because I love when there's shit to find. I love when there's shit to notice, and having something that's so detailed also adds to rewatchability. So, like, the more times you watch a film when you can find more and more things in the background that you didn't notice before, or another line you hadn't heard before, or a joke you didn't catch the first time, you know, when there when there's more stuff to be found all the time um Mm -hmm. that's exciting because that doesn't happen that often either damn dude you just made me change it (laughs) five i think this film makes me really excited i think my first review of this uh was something like films that make you love watching films because i mean it really does just i love watching it i love Mm -hmm. um it just feels cozy to slip into and it makes you think and it makes you think in a really nuanced way that, like we said, isn't beating you over the head with its messaging, but it's really making you think about different aspects of what's going on here and uh, of yourself. Totally. It's fucking cool as shit. Thirdly, I respect anything with DIY ethos, DIY feel. Yeah, And uh, totally. You know, this is that, too. <laughs> And of course, the cinematography. I again want to shout out Adam J. Menick. Um, just his work is so like inspirational, and what he does is different than anything anybody else does. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like you know, it's like anything. You're just how can people keep innovating using the same tools that have been around forever? How can people keep mm-hmm. changing the game, doing something entirely different when there are hundreds of thousands of films out there it's just that's a fucking artist like it's astounding adam j minnick is a true artist and aaron schimberg fucking artist his other film too is also you know exciting and different and weird and cool not in the same way i mean in different ways (laughs) and like yeah how do they do it we don't know but that's the mark of a true artiste and frankie would know because they are a true artiste (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something like that and uh, what a we respect we respect and it's perfect fives from both of us what a beaut <laughs> it's uh i thanks so much for uh getting me to watch this one it, this was magic hell yeah i'm so excited that you enjoyed it and i hope you know if i can convince anyone else to watch it too anyone out there uh normals in the world 
watch this fucking movie. For real. It's a good movie, and I, I think it's just really special. Now it's time for Screen Vomit. Okay, so should we jump back? <laughs> Screen Vomit After Dark. Arc, arc, arc. <laughs> Thank you. So in this part of the pod, we just go off about whatever else we've been watching lately, movies, shows, whatever. So what you been watching? Yo. Yo. Uh, <laughs> there is this show. Uh-huh. Okay. So Amazon remade it and their remake is bad. Okay. But uh, I found out about it because of the remake. Okay. Um, it is a 2013 show from Channel 4 in the UK called Utopia. Uh, it's two seasons, 12 episodes total, six eps per seize. And yo, it is one of the best fracking TV shows I have ever seen. Where are you watching this on? On Amazon Primo. Oh, okay. It's, uh... But Amazon dude. remade it and the remake is bad, but the original's on there? Watch the original on there. Yes, the okay. remake, avoid. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, dude, Wow. Yeah. Uh, I watched one episode and uh, I had to Change wake Lulu shorts? up. <laughs> I had to wake Lulu up the next morning and I was like, okay, I started watching a show last night and I'm not going to watch anymore until you watch it with me. It's too good. We both need to see this. <laughs> you forced them to watch it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's Utopia from Channel 4 on um, BBC. It's probably, uh, or not BBC, what the fuck? From Channel channel 4, it's Utopia, clean one, here we go, Utopia, uh, Channel 4, series, very tasty. Uh, I also, as we mentioned earlier, just watched The Player, which I am a huge Tim Robbins lover. I just watched it too for the first time, so this is on both of our list. That's fantastic. Hell yeah. Love it. It was... uh, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, I really knew nothing about it Same, before watching much. it. Yeah, and it's very good. It, it's we get hair, Vincent. Are you kidding me with this, Vincent and Afrio with hair? <laughs> A lot of it. A whole um, bunch. Never seen. Never before seen. Never since. Okay. <laughs> man, that movie is hilarious too. It, um, it was really good. How how much um how familiar are you with Robert Altman's movies? Not really at all. I couldn't name another one. I've pro- I've maybe seen one, but I couldn't name one. Pretty much same. I had seen one other of his films, and it's like not even one that anybody cares about. It's just one I picked at random because I think it had the shortest running time. <laughs> but oh, um, what, which one? Um, let me see. I'd have to look it up. But uh, while I'm looking it up, I'll tell you. But I hear people talk about him all the time. Um, so I'm always like, I should watch more of his films because mm. some of my fave filmmakers get compared to him a lot. And I'm like, I, I don't know oh. shit that he's done. I watched a film called Images from 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only other Robert Altman I'd seen besides The Player. Everyone tells me to watch Shortcuts, uh, which I'd love I to see, but you can only buy it on DVD. It's not streaming anywhere, so you have to oh, you okay. buy it. And it's over three hours, so it's kind of a commitment. I think it's, Shortcuts I think is it's, quite uh, a name then. I think it's in, um, what do you call it, where it's like little slices of movie? Oh, yeah, an anthology? Yeah, it's like an anthology, I think. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I think that's what it is. But anyway, everybody tells me to watch that one and The Long Goodbye. I probably will watch The Long Goodbye sometime soon. But um, 
Anyway, that's not important. What's important is I wasn't that familiar with him either, but I really liked the player. Yeah, it was wonderful. And I, I think Tim Robbins is, is just magic. I think anything he touches is, is always good. And he's a little like cutie. Him. Yeah, definitely. A little cutie. Um, particularly in Hudsucker Proxy. I don't know if you've seen that one. No. But the movie's a blast. It's a Coen Brothers movie uh with uh with tim robbins uh, it's super super stylized um in the same way that oh brother where out thou is but in the 1940s it's very very good and uh yeah i also watched recently um miracle mile i don't know if you've heard of this one no um so this one is from 1988 1988 yes <laughs> i'm looking them up as you say <laughs> i'm on letterboxd um, <laughs> I am too, and my internet is bad, so oh. it won't take me to the page. Okay, well, but uh, I'm a big fan of, of apocalyptic fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I love end-of-the-world stuff. Seriously, my favorite type of movie is like, what do you do at the end of the world? What do you do at the e- a- after the end of the world? I love dystopian, post-apocalyptic stuff. Sure. And um, this one was just, it's so soaked in like 80s, you know, editing um What's the word? It's just, it's very of its time in its editing and its sound design. Mm -hmm. It's very, like, it's got a real Carpenter vibe to it. It is definitely not John Carpenter, but also one of my favorite types of movies is a movie that all happens in one evening. Oh, yeah. And this movie also fits into that category. Basically, main character receives some, accidentally receives some information that the Soviets are bombing LA where he is and there's nothing he can do about it. And the movie is so perfectly hopeless. It's just, I I just absolutely adored it. It was, it was fantastic. Sounds great. Um, I also watched recently this movie Spun, which I think is from 2002, (laughs) 2003. Yeah. Uh, I you were right, it's ha- two, but I own that on DVD. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. I, uh, I would have liked it more if I had seen it then, uh-huh. if that makes any sense. Absolutely does. <laughs> um, it was cool. It did some interesting things. Talk about nice titles. The title sequence of that, uh, that one is, is really fantastic. Spun was um, one of my favorite movies at the time that it came out, and probably through my early 20s. <laughs> wow. I used to love that movie. I had a crush on Mickey Rourke when I was a kid, weirdly. I don't know. Can't explain that's that a, one. That's a weird childhood <laughs> Can't crush, explain that. dude. All my childhood crushes, you would be like, what is happening there? And me too. As now a, an older uh, version of myself, I am like, what was happening there? I don't know. Um, but I don't know. Had a crush on Mickey Rourke as a child. Also always been obsessed with Jason Schwartzman since birth, I think, I, yeah. and Brittany Murphy. I had a crush. Matter. On Jason Schwartzman, too. Fair. Absolutely I, fair. Yeah. Even uh, Rushmore Jason Schwartzman, I had a crush. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a fan of Phantom Planet since I was like a baby, since they were oh. on the Sabrina the Teenage Witch soundtrack. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and he used to drum for them famously. Um, yeah. So I knew him from that even before I knew him as an actor. Uh, and I always just, was just like a huge fan of his work. I used to love that movie Slackers. Too. Did you see that movie? Slackers. Oh my God. With Devin Sawa. Yeah, boy. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> that, was my, wow. that was like my favorite. And uh, uh, Michael C. Morona from Pete and Pete yeah. is in that yeah, one yeah, yeah. too. Uh-huh. And Pete and Pete's like my favorite piece of media in existence. Yeah. 
favorite piece of meat. Holy cow. <laughs> beet and beet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, beet and beet's a classic. Iconic. I mean, I couldn't be more iconic. <laughs> wow. Um, that's, that's, I have not thought about that one in ages. Slackers I also own on DVD. So as you can tell, I haven't updated my DVD collection much <laughs> since I was 12. <laughs> Damn, I'm sure it is problematic <laughs> as fuck, but I would really like to see it. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. It probably is. I was trying to think of like what would happen in it that it would be problematic, but it probably totally is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any comedy. But Jason from Schwartzman that has time an incredible period. character. Yeah, he's like a creep, right? He's yeah, like, and he shaves his chest hair into the letter A. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> he like collects her hair and makes hair dolls out of it. He plays a guy called Cool Ethan. Cool <laughs> I mean, Ethan. That's you right. You can't beat it. <laughs> is that Amy Smart in that movie? Was that Amy Smart? Uh, or am I thinking? Ooh, I don't know. I don't think it's her. It's mm. um, uh, what's what is that girl's name? Jamie King. Mm. Is that her? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm. Yeah, Jamie King. She's in uh, oh, a bunch of crap. I mean, Ocean's Eight, Sin City, White Chicks, Blow. Um, oh wow! Cheaper by the dozen too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. She's got one of those faces that you yeah. know. You know what I mean? You see her face and you go, "Oh yeah." It's all very slowly <laughs> coming back to me. He rides a unicycle. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I loved that movie. I I haven't watched it in forever. Same with Spun. I haven't rewatched it in forever. But yeah, I used to love Spun. What's his name? Billy Corgan's band does some of the soundtrack. Yeah, Not, it's pretty what, good. What are they called? Zane or something? Zane, uh, Zwan. Zwan. Yeah. Yeah. Zwan. <laughs> yeah. I dug the tunes, man. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't like Zwan when they came out. I liked the single. It was like, a lyric, a line. In that, <laughs> that great. I like the songs that are in Spun, and I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got that, cor- that, got that Korg throat going. I think that was the first time I heard the song Hurdy Gurdy Man, too, oh. by Donovan. Is in that movie when Brittany Murphy's like passing out after her like four days of being awake. Mm-hmm. Um, they play that song and I really loved that song. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's my my list. Uh, if I were to pick if I were to pick a a, a clear winner out of them, it's going to be the player followed by Utopia, uh-huh. followed by Miracle Mile, followed by Spun. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Spun. I I. I've tried to show it to people more recently, and they go, Kayla, what is this crap? <laughs> I mean, I think one of the I things think I about have, it... I have a lot of nostalgia to it. Well, that's, I think, one of the things is, like, having been young in that time period, this movie, like, Spun is so emblematic of the things that were, like, cool then. And, yeah. and I think also that there was innovative stuff happening in that movie, but mm-hmm. now it feels very sort of played but i mean if you if you put your 2002 goggles on it's dope it's really good hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) and see folks i'm always saying on pod i never watched normal movies growing up i only had access to weird things (laughs) so like spun and slackers were my favorite movies meanwhile i never saw i don't know anything normal that a normal person would see (laughs) And I go, everyone's seen Spun, right? <laughs> and people go, Kayla, you were watching this at 13. This is kind of fucked up. <laughs> this dude ties a, a naked lady to a bed for four days. Oh, man, what up. a wild. Oh, my God. 
that was such a wild scene and he turns on the music and then it's just skipping for three yes. days oh. and then fucking blondie is like a sex caller on the phone <laughs> oh yeah Holy cow. so um great film check it out oh my god okay so that's that's all your shit for this week yeah okay so i got a couple okay i kind of mentioned i mean half of mine in our fucking episode but i'd also like to recommend aaron schimberg's first movie go down death it is free on youtube it is even more loose in terms of structure it's a little more complicated Mm. it's a little more uh artistic but i think it's really good and uh yeah watch go down death if you like this movie at all i think you'll probably like that movie i watch the player i watch freaks we've talked about these um i watched the 1973 film the baby um, hmm. Maybe one of the most bizarre and deranged films I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it's about huh. a uh, social worker who makes a call to this house to check out their baby. The baby is played by a man who's probably in his forties. <laughs> so is this a, is this a, 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 a Damon Wayans or Marlon Wayans little man situation? Here? <laughs> I think he's supposed to be. He's supposed. to to be 40, but they have raised him to be a baby for his whole life. That He's never learned to walk. He wears diapers. He can't really speak. So by all for all intents and purposes, he acts like a baby. Um, how they got this actor to do this crazy stuff that happens in the film, you go, whoa. Um, oh, boy. So 1973's The Baby. Um, if you want to see something crazy... <laughs> check that out and that's not the baby am i correct no it's it's a t-h-e baby situation um with full t-h-e on that one um um, and then i also watched (laughs) my god we're losing our minds um we're about three hours into recording at this point (laughs) not including the time we spent before recording (laughs) yeah so, uh, I also watched the 2019 film Saul at Night, which is a new film with Kentucker Oddly, who I am a fan of. It's from 2019, like I said, but it just went up on Amazon and iTunes, so it's new in that sense. It is sort of a futuristic film um, where, uh, or maybe just sci-fi, I don't know. In the world in the film, there's like a government-imposed uh, bedtime so everyone goes to sleep at the same time and oh. wakes up at the same time. Wow, that's cool. And um, Kentucker's character has volunteered to be on the opposite schedule um, as part of like a medical study or something. But he does Whoa. have a wife and kids who he now cannot really interact with because he has to be on the opposite sleep schedule as them. It's kind of crazy. That's such a concept. Wow. It's very cool. It's a very cool concept. It's very cool execution. A lot of the ideas in it and stuff were just really unique and really interesting. Um, I do kind of wish there was a little more elaboration on certain things, but ultimately I think it was a really good movie and I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, that's up now on Amazon and iTunes. Um, and I love Kentucker. Anyway, he was great in the film. Awesome. I watched The Wild Boys. Mm. This is a French film, so it actually has a French title too, but I'm not going to say it. You have to guess what Wild Boys is in French. Um, <laughs> so this is a uh, 2017 film. Uh, it's about this group of five boys, teenage boys, who, um, let's just say, commit a, a serious crime. And then as sort of their punishment, 
they are sent with this sailor, this ship captain, who says he can set them straight by taking them out on his ship. I do have to trigger warning, there is like three rape scenes in this movie. Oh, wow. Um, But, but, I think it's really fucking cool despite that. The rapes are a little, they're a little intense. Mm. But uh, the five teenage boys, all the actors are women. So whoa, they're playing boys. I think that puts an interesting spin on the rape scenes, which mm-hmm. sort of takes a little bit of severity off of them Yeah, when you're watching. I don't want to give too much away, but it's very surreal. It's very intense. It's very high art. It is a certified freak movie, as I would say. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. <laughs> it was really cool. I, I don't, That's another movie. I don't think I've seen anything like it. Um, lots of ideas going on in that one. And it's queer as hell. Awesome. So, Hell yeah. Probably you would like if you can get past the uh, rape scenes. <laughs> One of them is, unfortunately, the opening of the movie. Oh, so. great. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I do it for the art. I'm down. Yeah. I'd like to see that. That if sounds fantastic. If it serves fantastic. a purpose, then you can get past it, I yeah. think, in my mind. Because I don't always enjoy watching that stuff either. No, it's but, not the um, easiest thing in the world, that's for sure. But I think the movie's really cool and really interesting and really crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was called The Wild Boys. And then uh, lastly, just to not be uh, ending on that film, I watched a short that was cool this week called Actor Seeks Role. Um, 2015 short about a struggling actor who can only get parts performing the symptoms of various diseases for medical students. <laughs> um, but it was very fun and cool little short. Awesome. Actor Seeks Role. So that's my After Darks for now, for today. <laughs> Fantastic. Bunch of weird shit from me, baby, from both of us, which is, I love. <laughs> love it. And I, I'm so... Uh, so absolutely thrilled that you invited me on again. I love talking talking flicks with you. It's such a, a joy, sincerely. Aw, hell yeah, baby. I love having you on. Thank you. And you know what? You got to do your plugs before we close out. My name is Frank OK, and you can find me online on Instagram at Frank O.K., F-R-A-N-K-O-K-A-Y. And you could probably find me elsewhere just by looking up those letters in that order on altavista.com. Google.com, Google. ever heard of it? Google.com. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to go to G-O-O-G-L-E.com, and then there's going to be a box <laughs> in there. You click that box. You type F-R-A-N-K-O-K-A-Y, and you're going to find all kinds, of, all kinds of stuff, stuff I want you to see and stuff I don't. So there it Frank's is. really a Frank of all trades. I mean, <laughs> they do music, they do art, they do. I mean, what else is there? They do jokes on Twitter. Twitter very funny. I'm I'm ha ha haing all day looking at the Twitter. <laughs> they I've, do Instagram. I've, I've lost my need. mind on Twitter. <laughs> I have become. I am vomiting id on Twitter. <laughs> But we're playing. We do Barack Horsey and Obama. <laughs> <laughs> we're having a good time. I read the tweets and I do ha ha ha's all day. <laughs> I say more people should be liking this because this is making me go ha 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 ha. I'm trying to provide the yucks and some people are getting them and some people are absolutely not. <laughs> Oh, this just in, Frank's canceled on Twitter. 
<laughs> I I haven't said anything in earnest on Twitter at all. Uh, no one's canceled me yet, but I'm not I'm not ruling it out. Some <laughs> at some point I'm gonna do something, and then then I'll have to then I'll have to move away to Japan. Oh no! <laughs> oh yeah, and check out Frankie's brand new music video. By the time this comes out, maybe it'll be a little bit not brand new, but. Still brand new in our hearts. What's the song called? The song is Vacation called Forever. Vacation Forever by Frank O'K, which is the name I told you to Google. Yeah. And that's on YouTube. It's also the songs on Spotify, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Okay. So look up Frank everywhere, basically. Look up Frank on our other episodes of the podcast that they were on for Diamantino and yeah. Together Together. Hell yeah. So that's really it. So basically stock Frank. Um, they're very cool. And then I'll be back <laughs> next week for Spun when we do Spun. <laughs> Ooh, that could be fun. <laughs> um, we're going to have Frank on as often as possible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, thanks again for doing the little show. Thank you. All right. And we'll see everybody else next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Sorry, I'm burping. Bless the pick you. also. <laughs> Bless you after a burp. 